0: James 1, 2 through 3. This is merely a bounce point, but it's a bounce point hopefully all of us can touch and relate to. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the trial of your faith develops perseverance. For many of us who've memorized this, we focus on, okay, we're going to get banged around with many kinds of trials, and the goal here is perseverance, perseverance. Most of us gloss the words, the trial of your faith. So what would it mean that I get a flat tire, I'm caught in the rain in my best clothes with no umbrella, the kids just threw up in their bed, they threw up on me. You just walk into all sorts of problems that are difficult, challenging, whatnot. How is that supposed to help me grow spiritually? What is this doing to test my faith? So my Deborah, after her head on collision, she's nine days in a coma, the rest of a month of intensive care, months and months of rehab. After the accident, it took her two and a half months before she knew I was her husband. As she's putting life together, and to give you a little bit of perspective with we've now been married forty two years. But this was a crucial, crucial thing in our lives because as she started trying to process, God, who is absolutely in charge, knew that the woman who's mixing alcohol and drugs would be on the road that day, knew that as Deb had to cross and get to the other lane, if the gal would just slow down, if she wouldn't speed up, if she'd stay in her own lane, none of this would have happened. God was in total control and let her get mashed. Let her have a brain injury. Let her lose the control and ability of so much of her life. One of her phrases, as we wrestled night by night, we would often stay up till about midnight wrestling with how bad God was because of what he allowed to happen to her. She said, all I wanted was to be a little pastor's wife. I didn't want to be the second Joni Erickson Tata." God does great things through people he's allowed to be mashed. I don't want to be one of them. You know, God's just out for his own glory. Does he even care about the pain? That is a trial of faith. When a problem hits you and you start asking questions about God, that is the trial of faith. John 8, 32, I knew the verse, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Lord, Deb is spinning, and I cannot logically argue her to where we need to go. So would you please show me from your word what we need to stand on? <clears throat> love the hymn we sang, In Christ Alone. I will need a glass of water if anyone could help me out. Um, Here in the love of Christ, I stand. God gave us Psalm one nineteen eighty six. You are good. What you do is good. Change my perspective. Teach me your decrees. Your character, good. Your output, good. And so Deb stuck that on her bathroom mirror. She stuck it on the window above the kitchen sink where she did dishes. She stuck this verse everywhere because we were going to build our life on the truth not on the frustrations of a brain injury. And God blessed his word. The spirit grew. She grew in joy, basing all of her thinking on the fact that God is good, not basing her feelings and how she was angry at the Lord for what he let have happen. The goodness of God needs to be real enough that it can withstand the craziest, worst possible things we get mashed with in life. Good in quality of character. So how many pleasures has the devil made? Let me say it right here. I'm not asking rhetorical questions. I want to talk to you today. So think out loud with me. How many pleasures has the devil made? A world full of them? Anybody else? You could say he didn't make any of them corrupt. That's the real point. God is the God of fun. When we get to heaven, the feast with the Lamb and the Father, God is the greatest party thrower on earth. The devil just takes God's good things and twists them. If it hasn't been said loud and clear lately, sex is good. The only problem with sex is when it's taken out of context. It's a glorious thing for husband and wives to share. It's a holy precious thing. It's just got such power. It gets taken sideways time after time. The devil did not create sex. That's God's gift. It's holy and pure and wonderful. but we get scared of things of such power, and it gets to where we treat it as well that I heard from a dear sister in the Lord that the Which group was it? I'm not going to get the title out right. Do you remember? There was a group of Baptists down in Kentucky that were quite sure that sex was the apple that was eaten in the Garden of Eden. I'm thinking, are you kidding? He just told them to make babies. (laughs) I don't mean to be crass, but I want to be straight with you. Our God... Is that God, First Timothy 6.17, gives us everything for our enjoyment. James 1.16, um, it's not going to come to mind now. From verse 13 on, don't blame God when you're tempted. We're grabbed by our own. He is the giver. I've got to look it up. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Our God's goodness gives us every possible pleasure. All the devil can ever do is twist, manipulate, abuse. James 1.16, 1 Timothy 6.17. He is good in character quality. He is good in output or outflow from your ESV that you'll have. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, I'd love a little bit of feedback. Who makes it work for good? I love God. That part's not too hard. What's going to actually make this lousy situation turn around? again our faith will turn it around anyone add build on that God oh our King James and our ESV left it passive for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to be drugged through hours of biblical culture that was a Jewish way to point at God time after time if there's ever a passive in the Bible they're saying it's him So the NIV and the New American Standard ninety-five say it, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. They just spun it around, just like you said. It's not truly passive. It's not going to just happen by accident. Our God, for His children, He takes the absolute worst scenarios. Corey Ten Boom. Ravensbrook, the worst hellhole imaginable, a death camp, and God basically starts a church in Ravensbrook. He's constantly, his output is good, not just his character. I'm going to say it once, and hopefully I'll remember to, to say it several, several times. <clears throat> so we have this God who is everything. Pastor Scott's hymn said it so well. All that he needs to be, he's God. He's got all this goodness. We have no way to relate to all of his goodness until we run into a problem. John Piper once said, and I've spent the last several years looking for proof texts to prove him right. John Piper said, when God wants to reveal more of himself to somebody, he lets them suffer. Our experience... That rings so true. So where's proof text? And it comes up time after time. But what I want to touch on this morning, whether it is you're walking the floors in the middle of the night with a cocky baby, whether it is one of Deb's brothers who's a welder, he's in the middle of trying to fix a machine at work and he can't figure out how to get the tools to work to get the thing fixed. And he spends a moment and says, Lord, what in the world do I do with this one? And he sits there thinking about it and the Lord just kind of drops the idea. Oh, of course. And he moves over here and fixes the machine. Would we know that God could meet these needs if we didn't have the need? Would we know that God cared about your finances or your children's struggle with math and how many times Dave tutored people? If we didn't have the problem, would we ever get that niche of God? Now, one more thing. Jesus, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the... So I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is a God who's chasing us in our lostness. Pastor's prayer. Does that break your heart? Lord, the only thing we brought to salvation was the need for it. That's the truth would we know how good God was if we weren't so totally lost that he just pays for it? So let us work hard to refuse to let God's goodness to be a static thing that just sits there and realize that every little irritating thing I run into is one more opportunity. So God, I've never, I've never had to ask this of you before. Can, can you show me a new piece of yourself right here? Back to Deb's accident. In the 30 years, medical prices have gone like 10 times what they were then. But we're looking easily at $120,000 of medical bills. And um, she was driving a car delivering newspapers. So there's the newspaper. There's the car insurance. And then there's our health insurance. We just got out of seminary we did not buy car insurance that had a medical writer. The newspaper says they're self-employed. The medical people say the car insurance ought to pay for it. It's a car accident. So I've got three international companies playing hot potato with my $120,000 medical bill, and they won't touch it. Lord... I intellectually know this, but now we've got to actually put feet to it. Are you big enough to kick three international countries in the butt and make them pay my bill? And I just sought the Lord, and I knew he's big enough, but I've never needed him big enough. And so God just patiently waited 364 days from the accident. 365 days from the accident, my lawyer gives me a call. There's this neat little thing in the law that if you have companies jacking you around for a year, they have to pay you up front 10% of what they were refusing to pay and pay the bill. So they not only paid the bill, they paid off our house. I would have never known God was so big he could kick international companies in the butt until I needed him to. God's goodness is not static it is active seeking the lost ministering grace taking these things and turning them around for our good another response in our trials if god really loved me why did this happen does god really love me how how can god love me when my brothers and sisters Count it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds because you know that the trial of your faith, the thing that is going to bring up questions in your heart, that'll grow you in perseverance. But right now, I want to assure you that when those questions arise, God is fully big enough to handle anything you've got to throw at Him. What I want to encourage you to do today, though, Archimedes, give me a place to stand and a lever. Don't let your foundation stone shift on you. I love what Dr. Blackaby did. He did some wonderful material uh, talking about experiencing God. And he talks about how his daughter in high school, we've got a new graduate, right? Somewhere. Um, His daughter in high school got cancer. And a lot of people come up and said, well, pastor, you know, why do you think God did this? Doesn't he love you? And he says, Pause with me for a moment here. Think about this. Quote it with me, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever, everlasting life. God settled his love for me 2,000 years ago. That is not open to question. Relationally, think about this. Do we go around wondering if my wife still loves me at every little possible problem? Can we live like that? Do my kids love me anymore? Uh, I want to walk tender here. Some of us have problems with our adult kids. I'm not playing light with that one. But we don't walk around in constant fear of our closest relationships imploding or disappearing. So don't let the trials open up God's absolute stated love for you and me as though it's not real you're allowed to say some questions don't deserve to give two thoughts about. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures that are so precious. Because today I want you to stand on and revel in God's goodness and love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Everlasting the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Of a very, very precious son in law who's a perfectionist, and his brain sees these verses and says, Yes, but do I fear him enough? Not the question. <laughs> if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not how big your faith is, it's did you reach out and grab him when you realized you're going to hell? So, for all of us who've looked to Christ, that's sufficient. Jeremiah 31 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. That is a foundation stone. In Him alone, in, in His love, I will stand. We sang it. I'm merely saying, depend on it. The question will rise if God loved me, would He? Yes. Yes. Very seldom do we think about it. Revelations 3.17. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Not every suffering, not every difficulty is chastisement. But God put us in a broken, broken world. He saved us through Christ and wants us to be witnesses to one another and to the lost dying world that his grace is sufficient. Will God let his people go through difficulty? Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43 while I reference something else you're very familiar with. We have a children's song. Wise man built his house upon the... What? We sing it. We talk about it lightheartedly. Have we ever backed up a step and just realized what Jesus laid out there? You put my word to practice, this world is going to... Beat the daylights out of you. The rains are coming down, the winds are blowing, the streams are rising. It's trying to sweep you away. Did you ever process that's what he just said? And it's only those who have the word and put it into practice can withstand what this world does to people. Jesus front-loaded, we're here to suffer. Isaiah 43 I'm reading from NIV, it's been a while since I've looked at the ESV, so I'm not sure it's going to be quite the same. But catch the difference between if and when. Isaiah 43, let's dive in at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's not if you pass, it's when. If God loved me, would he let me go through it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because in his choice and in his grace, he chose to leave us in a broken world and we're going to get hit with the earthquakes of a broken world. But for me, a huge promise that I always have to bring along with all this, I will never leave you or forsake you repeated constantly in scripture another word picture from my heart and mind the thermostat the heat may be rising but his hands on the thermostat he knows how hot he knows what we can take he's promised to never put us through a trial but what his grace would get us through oh great where'd I set the clicker the devil schemes he wants to discredit distract derail divide discourage you just walk those five things through the garden of eden and they just jump right off the page at you paul says we're not unaware of his schemes and for many years in the back of my mind i thought lord i need a list cuz i feel like i'm really unaware the devil wants to discredit god your leaders and the bible again those questions is God good? seems like he's just a glory hound he wants everyone to worship him but look at the trouble he lets us have the devil wants to discredit God he wants to discredit God's love for you he wants to distract you from God's purpose and so I come back to this whole thing How interesting is your God? Is He just this ball of bright white light and goodness that doesn't do anything for you? Or are you finding Him fascinating because the more complicated your life gets, the smarter and wiser your God becomes? He wants to discredit, He wants to distract, He wants to derail us. How precious is your walk with God? Let me run an analogy for you. I've much appreciated, I'll call it a blog, by a youth pastor. He says, men, this is how I handle sexual temptation. A thought comes running into my head because beauty, wonderful fragrances, shapely colors, I, I see, my mind wants to run with it. So he says, the first thing I do is I grab memories of my wife and my kids. And I picture my wife's face. There's the temptation of this pleasure and selfishness. What would it do to my wife? Can I see her broken because of my selfishness? What would it do with my relationship with my kids? Would they look up to me? He says, you know, the, the temptation just disappears. The value of my relationship destroys temptation. How, how precious is your and my walk with God is it so precious that I refuse to let my heart be drug away with other distractions? I mean, they are sparkly. I absolutely love the new Jaguar F-style body. That thing is co- Oh, the new mid-engine Corvette. Plastic is cute. It's plastic. <laughs> so the devil's going to throw these things at us. How precious is your walk with God. Does the devil even have a chance? He loves to divide. Sin separates. Uh, Isaiah 59.2, your sin has separated you from your God. But let me flip that. Because when sin separates, and yes, we all blunder, we all fall, right? When the devil says, aha, I knew you were just as weak as the rest of them. And he wants to lead us to the next one, discouragement. Let's go back to that word Divide. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Romans 8, 36-38. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship, famine, uh, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, knowing all this, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither height nor depth, the present the future nor any powers, angels, demons... Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. So the devil wants to divide us from one another, wants to divide us from God, but again, God's goodness and God's love keeps that from happening. Discouragement. Anybody here serve the God of all hope? Again, the beauty of Romans 15, 6 and 7, then verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy, all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I want the goodness of God to be something lively and tangible for you, not just boring and static. Ugh. Malcolm Muggeridge said I mentioned it? Yep. I was hoping this is next. <clears throat> You see, it's just the right time, Romans 5, 6, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. That, that really twisted my brain. Wait a second. I thought the goal of spiritual growth was to be righteous. But the lost world around us is more interested in a good man than a righteous man? Have you ever wrestled with that one yet? My way of processing what I'm quite sure this is saying. Very rarely would anyone die for a religious rule keeper. A Christian Buddhist. They don't do anything wrong, but they're not much help either. They're separated from sin. And from everybody else's needs. But they might die for a teacher who invested so much in their student that that student is now inspired and thriving. They, They might give themselves for the philanthropist who just paid for three of their kids to go to college. Good in action changes the world. Righteousness that does no more than keep itself from sinning, boring. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I just bring this up because goodness that's just in my heart, I feel the goodness of God, be warm, be filled, is dead. (laughs) Your God is not dead. I I promise you. Two applications to what God's goodness and love mean for today. In our area, in Maryland, pieces of Virginia... Critical race theory is a living battle on television and the radio in Loudoun County. It is an absolute firefight. I'm not going to touch all of the philosophic educational issues here. I want to touch a spiritual issue that is built on the very inside core of critical race theory. Critical race theory authors teach a worldview that says white people are guilty of systemic racism even if there is no individual racist, and I shouldn't have put an S on there, but if there isn't one racist, white people just build systemic racist uh, structures. So, imputed sin, you're white. My family never owned slaves. doesn't matter. I came into the United States in 1950. It doesn't matter. You're white. You're guilty. Okay, so I have this sin issue in their worldview. All whites are guilty of generational sin because it doesn't matter if you're a racist. You're white and white people had slaves. So how do I get forgiven of being white? You can't. You can live the rest of your life in humiliation and penance, helping us destroy all vestiges of racism, but you'll never be clean and you'll never be free. I'm not bringing this to you because it's an idle thing. My town is 66,000 people, over half of them are African American. I'm trying to plant a church in a town that feels the pain of George Floyd. Most of my town is still not vaccinated because there have been such things done to the African-American community, they don't trust the American medical system. They're around wearing masks all the time when they could get vaccinated. They're hurt and they're broken. So I've been trying to read, I've been trying to weep with those who weep and understand, and I've been leaning into more and more of this critical race theory stuff troubling me but I couldn't put it all together and one brother in Christ who is African American said Christians wait up and look for a second so let's think about these things in God's point of view how has he handled our sin so talk back to me here even if it's just nodding your head are all humanity guilty of sin did he leave us there What did he do to take care of our sin problem? Died for us. Now, um, terminology. Professor, you might need to help me here. Part for whole. Part for whole logic. He died for us, but is that everything he did? He lived a perfect life. He did die for us, and he rose again. If we didn't have all three of those pieces, we wouldn't be saved. But it's okay to say he died for us because we can do part for whole. He shed his blood. He did the work. His goodness in action. Am I guilty for my dad's sin, according to the Bible? I'm not expecting you to remember where, but both in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18, there was a proverb in the land. The father eats sour grapes, the son's teeth are set on edge. No more. Every soul will die for his own sin. I'm not guilty even if my parents had slaves. My great-great-great-great-great-grandparents had slaves. I'm not guilty. I don't have to let anyone else make me guilty. I can engage. I can weep with those who weep. I can pray for liberty and justice for all without accepting a worldview that says, my lack of melanin makes me worth less. Is that making sense? When Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. When will the stupid things I've done going to come back around and bite me? How long did Jesus forgive me for? Isn't it so beautiful, Psalm Psalm 103 as far as the east is from the west, did you notice he didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because the moment you cross the North Pole, you're going where? And when you cross the South Pole, you're going where? But if I go east, will I ever go west? They'd never cross. This was not an accident in language. Micah 7, into the deepest sea, they 're gone, Christian, stand in the goodness of God and love of God because you are free galatians five one stand firm, therefore, stand firm, let no one bring you back under bondage. We live in difficult days. This is just a touch point is god 's goodness important? Yes, I was starting to get sucked into in my compassion to figure out the pain and minister to the need. I was allowing more and more of their guilt to... I don't need to carry a bit of it. I can continue minister love, and I don't have the answers. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get in a big enough crowd and someone says, Preach, I'm sorry, but you're white. You really don't have any authority to speak to our problem. I don't know what I'm going to say that day but this is where God called me and this is the time God called me to do it and this is where I'm at. And his grace is sufficient. (laughs) And our goal from the moment we went to Bowie was Shiloh, the sister word to Shalom. Jesus is our peacemaker. We went there to plant a black and white church. He'll have to do it and that's okay with me. So I'm pounding on this one last point Were we supposed to be done by 11 or 10.30? (laughs) Good. (laughs) Okay, all of that thing we talked through. Application one. Application two. Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to you. And the Lord's Prayer wraps up. And then Jesus went on. For if you forgive other people their sins, your Heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. If you do not forgive others their sin, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you yours. That is a touch point of a principle God does in many, many places. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. The point is, when I have received forgiveness, how am I supposed to act in character? I'm to be forgiving. When I have received grace, I'm to be gracious, So, when I have received God's goodness and love, what am I supposed to invest in others? But I'm an American. And my American culture quietly taught me inside the four walls of my home, I don't have to worry about anybody's needs. I'm going to be crass and over the top. They could just die and go to hell. My bills are paid. I'm comfortable, I'm happy, family's doing good, it, it takes all my attention just to pay my bills. My American culture has equipped me to be a glorious, selfish pig. And the Bible, do you have any idea how many commands there are for Christians to do good? It spins my head. A couple of them you'll know already. Oh, that's the end. Okay. Okay. So I'll just back up and we'll look at them together. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Hmm, you did know that one. Not a surprise. Uh, First, oh, first, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Love 3.16 is so crucial for all of ministry. For all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Instructing or training in righteousness. Then verse seventeen, so that the man and woman of God would be thoroughly equipped unto every ooh good works is that central? I thought good works were just for you know social gospel for those who are confused and were trying to work their way to heaven. You mean when I've received God's goodness, I'm supposed to be looking to invest in other people? Take your text, First Timothy six seventeen and eighteen. 1 Timothy 6. There are two words in the Greek language translated good in English. Agathos is that which is morally right, and alongside that, that which is simply practically helpful. So when Jesus said, if anyone offers you a cup of cold water in my name, that's agathas." Simple, practical help. There's also the word kalos. That good which is noble, sacrificial, beautiful. 1 Timothy six seventeen, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds. Command them to agathos. Look for practical ways to help people nearby. Secondly, to be rich in sacrificial giving. If I let myself just be the typical American I was raised to be, pay my bills, watch over my family, it's all about me, I'm I'm an impoverished person. (laughs) do-gooders. <laughs> because it's so easy. It's so easy to be about me. From First Timothy, turn to the right just a little bit and go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 8. <clears throat> Titus 3, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. To where we could get each morning, Lord, this day is yours. I'm excited to walk with you. And Lord, I promise when you bring me an interruption today, I'll actually look them in the face and see how I can help. Because interruptions often irritate us. You're not in my plan. (laughs) Guy was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and met thieves. It is the cultural last person in the world, a Samaritan, who walks by and actually takes care of the need. The religious people, sorry, they had things to do. I want to encourage you. As we stand on and revel in God's goodness and love, let us also be intentionally looking for the beat up along the way. As Jesus finished that, so tell me, who was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Uh uh I suppose the one who intentionally did good because that reflects our good God. We live in a complicated world. It does demand our attention. It does it demands everything about us. But please remember Your God is absolutely good, but not static. Not boring. And every problem we get gives us another opportunity to see another amazing facet of the God who loved us so much he sent his son for us. That love locked in. The question will run through our head. Does he love me? Rehearse the truth. Locked in 2,000 years ago. If the scripture before that wasn't enough, I loved you with an everlasting love. You're mine win you on my hand his goodness if god was good would he have allowed yes when you pass through the fires when you pass through the waters i will be where i will be with you father we need you so we need a fresh glimpse of your goodness and love that they would be solid solid foundation stones that we can then leverage every problem by faith and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.